Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, hello and welcome. Or should I say welcome back to the Independent Football Podcast. I am your host for today, Jack Pitbrook. I'm here in Seville. It's just gone midday and I'm sat with Miguel Delaney reflecting on the two England games we've seen this week. The 0-0 draw in Rijeka on Friday night and of course the 3-2, the 3-2 win here in Seville yesterday evening. I think it was probably one of the best England wins that I've ever seen. Uh, it's, been, it's already been talked of compared to the 5-1 in Munich in September 2001. Um, so I think certainly probably a better performance than anything we saw at the World Cup or anything under Southgate so far. Miguel, what did you think? Yes, but when as time passes and kind of the circumstances are put in the correct historical context, maybe some of that talk will fade away. It's very easy to get taken away in the immediate aftermath of the game. But in saying that, it can't be denied that this was just <laughs> such a, an emphatically impressive performance. Uh, and I think I think you are right. I mean, re- regardless of what it actually means in the wider term, I don't think of England. I've seen an England team play like that. So I've, I've actually never seen them play like that in, in person. A game of banash. Um and I think that I haven't seen them that good or that. I suppose that assertive against a properly good side since Croatia two thousand nine. And even that Croatia game felt as if that was a Croatia team. It was slightly, a classic case of Slavin Bilic where they kind of he was losing his control of the team. And England had had that one tactic that kept catching them out time and time again. Whereas this felt much more complete. And even I think I wrote this in my piece, but there's like a, I suppose a healthy debate to be had for England over who who of the many. Had actually the best night was at Southgate. His tactics once again paying the switch to formation paying off and just everything and the way everything came together. I mean, in the way this is almost the performance we didn't see at the World Cup. Was it Sterling scoring twice? Was it Kane having one of his best games for England and yet not scoring? Showing he has other qualities. Was it Rashford who got his goal? It was it Eric Dyer who I suppose much of so much was made of that tackle. Um, but yeah, there, there were so many positives to take from it, and I, I think I think you're right. I think that's the best performance I've seen uh, England for, for some time. What really impressed me, is, and this is something you don't often see with England, is it kind of, it looked like, a, it didn't look like an international team playing. Yeah. It felt more like a club team playing in the sense that you had a team which had quite a kind of complex game plan, but which was able to kind of execute that game plan perfectly in a way which, you, I mean, you hardly ever see with England. I mean, yeah. we always expect with England that, well, we're, we're always told, oh, you can't expect them to play that well because it's international yeah. football, so you've got to rely on set pieces or whatever. Even though we have seen other countries like Spain and Germany play in a more kind of coherent style, mm-hmm. whereas yesterday, the game, every, every part yeah. of the game plan worked. Like the switch back to 4-3. Sorry about the sound quality. We're uh, recording this on an iPhone uh, in a terrace on top of our hotel in the middle of Seville, so there's lots of motorbikes and horses along outside it, it won't be our usual high sound quality on this on this episode um like every element of the game plan worked the switch back mm. to 433 worked really well kane dropping deep with runners going beyond him which has been you know lots of people yeah. have been unsure about that worked really well pickford's long kicking playing it out from the back like every every little piece of yeah. the southgate jigsaw clicked perfectly yeah. together and it produced and it produced a whole like the, the whole performance 
was of a much higher level than anything we've yeah. ever seen. Also, as regards that, I mean, even though the win wasn't as massive or as sensational as it could have been, as it did look like it might have been in the first half, I mean, there were, there were moments in the first half that go three, four, five. Um, and one England would have been good value for it. But in a, in a different way, that also allowed them then to pass a very different type of test. Because I think they, did, they, they, they were resilient against Spain in that way. But also, in relation to what you're saying there, what's particularly impressive about Southgate in general is he's basically just a problem solver. Everything that kind of, like, he's constantly finding solutions to the many problems that international football throws up and that particularly the English national team have historically thrown up. But one of those, I suppose, is in terms of what you're saying about them being a club team, one of the great contrasts now between the international game and the club game and why the international football is really behind is because coaches just don't have the time with the teams or the squads to properly work on plans where it feels like Southgate has found another problem around that because of this it feels like a very very structured long term plan that he's put in that allows that means every single international week is just a chance to kind of tweak it to update it there's that, there's that bedrock of work that, 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 that he's, uh, he's implemented and it, it's, it's usually impressive yeah, that's one of the things that, that I think really stands out about, about the switch from three five two to four three three is that it's it's both the, exactly the right response to the problem, but it's also it's not a huge, it's not like he's massively changed tack. It's not like he's changed. It's not, he hasn't changed his principles or anything. The principles stay the same, but the implement, implementation changes, which is something which managers like, say, Pochettino or Guardiola always talk about when they change formations. They say, well, the identity remains the same. We're just going to change the players. Um, and that's exactly what happened with the 4-3-3. And the 4-3-3 was completely vindicated. Like Southgate went to the 4-3-3 because he said that uh, England didn't need the comfort blanket of the three centre-backs anymore. They'd, they were concerned about the wing-backs getting pinned back and England effectively playing a, playing a 5-3-2 and not being able to get out. And they wanted to be able to cause the opposition more problems. Now, England, if England had stuck with the 3-5-2, the same thing would have happened yesterday. Yeah. They would have got pinned back. They, wouldn't have had, they would have had to choose one out of Rashford and Sterling instead of having both of them. Uh, and obviously, with Rashford and Sterling and Kane in the front three, they managed to rip through Spain three times and go 3-0 up in the first half. So I think this was, an, this was such... I mean, we can talk... We can go into details all day, but I think in that particular sense, this was such a vindication of that, mm. of that change of formation, but also a sign of Southgate's confidence that he could do something for a year and not say, no, this is the way we play, this is our identity, and be kind of defensive yeah. about the 3-5-2, but to say, well, this has served us quite well up to this point, but actually now we've got a different set of problems we need to solve, and I think we need to find a different solution. The ability to, to think imaginatively like that yeah. and not be dogmatic about something you've done in the past is so is kind of is really impressive and I think that kind that is the kind of grown upness yeah. that people like about Southgate. Well, this is the thing as well. I mean given that England were by no means the finished article at the end of the World Cup because it's a young team, it was kind of really almost the start of a cycle. And there's almost the argument that the World Cup came, came too soon in that regard. But I mean given all that you, I think the vast majority of managers who who would have been brave enough to take the step away from a system that had worked so well for them and so quickly uh, it's a usually progressive step and I think that, that feeds into something wider about Southgate's career I mean I was one of these but when he, when he came into that job despite okay it obviously had he'd looked um, maybe progressive and forward thinking with the under 21s but it's still just the under 21s and all is said and done Um uh, he, there were still the perceptions of what he was like at Middlesbrough. We were discussing it with Rob Draper from the Mail on Sunday before the game. But there were still the perceptions of what he'd done at Middlesbrough, a kind of predictable, bureaucratic manager. Whereas, I mean, 
his evolution with the team almost reflects his evolution as a manager. Because, I mean, he's basically someone that stepped away from what he was, is willing to look at everything around the game. I, mean, we, we think, I wrote in a piece today about how he's, um, he's such an admirer of Guardiola, you know, t- he's so willing to take on ideas. And, and it's, that in itself is rare for someone to step away from football in that way. Look, look at the whole game. And, I mean, to be honest, we're not getting back to the same old topics. But you often think, especially with this wider debate over managers like Jose Mourinho and you know, whether they're stuck behind at times, how many coaches could actually do with that, stepping away from the game and just taking this period of reflection? Not many managers or people in any walks of life like radically change their approach in their 40s, do yeah. they? It's like, it's, gen- we're not used to people doing that much evolving at that age. And I think you're right. If you look at other top managers, they've, they are generally fully formed by that yeah. point. They kind of form themselves in their 30s and 40s. Whereas Southgate has obviously continued continue to develop and grow in a way which is interesting um, I want to talk about some individuals I mean you can you can look at almost any individual from that game and talk about how, how good they were the few ones that really stand out for me are I think that was maybe Harry Kane's best game for England even though he didn't score yeah. um, I mean we would we, Miguel, been to, Miguel and I have been talking about this before this idea that Kane's I, idea of himself as someone who likes to drop deep and play passes like, I've, I've heard that he thinks he's best as a 10 but he I, I've, I've often been quite suspicious mm. when England and Tottenham have tried that because I think it's not really making the most of Kane. Whereas last night, I think was the first time I've seen it work. Yeah. I've seen it work because obviously Kane was involved in the, in all three goals, but it was brilliant work coming deeper for the first two goals, and yeah. in a way which never really came off at the World Cup. Maybe that was because he had two runners alongside him rather than one. But I thought it was a big vindication for Kane and also proof that he can. He can be useful even without scoring and shooting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, uh, it's 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 quite an an ironic inversion of what we always hear about. Kay. I mean, one of, one of the slight criticisms among, among the overwhelming positives of him at Spurs is that because the way he plays, the team almost is built for how he scores. Whereas this almost switched it, where suddenly he becomes a kind of a central player in the team who makes things. Think. <laughs> like two of the moments last night were almost Bergkamp-esque, to be honest. Or well, I suppose he's a big admirer of Sheringham. But yeah, I was going to say yeah, certainly Sheringham, like in the um, the through ball to Sterling yeah. for the first goal, and then the, how deep he was for the the move in the second goal. He picked up the ball like about a good sort of five to ten yards inside England's half, collected Pickford's kick, turned, then passed to Rashford. Um, so he's doing work so far away from from the Spanish goal, but clearly, uh, yeah, England have found a way, yeah. a, a way to make that work. So a, a, again, it's another issue to applaud Southgate. I thought, I mean, Sterling. You have to say it's probably Sterling's best ever game for England. Certainly his best goal for England. And it's the kind of goal that you see him score for Manchester City sometimes, like where he he doesn't put too, he doesn't you can't he doesn't get anxious or nervous yeah. about it. He just take he hits it early with not much back left. Um, De Gea had no chance and you know, De Gea was one of the best in the world in those situations and then you could see that the, the confidence from Sterling scoring helped not only him to score his second but also Rashford to score mm. Rashford missed too much easier chances against Croatia on Friday night but then when he was through I wonder whether, I wonder whether the effect of Sterling, Sterling scoring had a positive effect on Rashford as well and all of a sudden you, like every, it was like everybody seemed to raise their level really yeah. in that first half yeah completely I, I mean, I, and that's what I'm saying I'm into it's almost difficult to pick out uh, <laughs> who the night was best for. And you can have a, an, an equally kind of fun debate, if you're an England fan, about um, you know, what was the best moment, what was the best pass even. One of Pickford's, maybe the Ross Barkley ball. I mean, that, that felt like a real kind of, 
one of those moments that we might look back on in a few months is this is Barkley kind of recovering his best level, a little bit of a juncture moment from that, that expression that we've expected from him or wanted from him from so long that we haven't really seen. Um, and and Sauke, of course, made, made sure to put some of that down to uh, the benefit of uh, what the context of Chelsea right now. Uh, another one, actually, maybe who won't get as much as many headlines was Joe Gomez. I mean, <laughs> looks more Sergio Ramos than Sergio Ramos at times. And I mean that in a positive way. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, remember also that England did this without a lot of the senior players from the World Cup. Like, I'd say Henderson and Stones, who are arguably, England's, I don't know, let's say England's second and third best players, mm. they were both suspended, but Dyer did well in Henderson's place. And Gomez, like Miguel said, I thought he looked very strong, calm on the ball, very quick across the ground. Uh, they did it without. They did it with Trippier instead of Walker. They had no Ali and Lingard, so that's basically the, the whole mm. Henderson, Ali and Lingard, the whole World Cup yeah. midfield, which yeah. you know obviously was criticised in some quarters, but was was the team that got them, was the players that got them through to the semi final. Uh, they weren't there, and Southgate managed to kind. I actually think that you could make a case that Dyer, Winks, and, and Barkley maybe a better balance of yeah, three yeah. midfielders than Henderson, Ali, and Lingard. I think Winks was Sorry, completely. They didn't. They didn't bypass midfield in the way you'd expect in some of these games. They they, they played true midfield much more and did it against Spain. And for for all, I mean, Spain were really slack in the first half. But yeah, I thought Thiago was still excellent. <laughs> so despite that, I mean, it, for England to have that success in the middle is it is very promising. Yeah, and you can look at the way they Winks and Barkley was and Dyer were all really good in their pressing as well with Spain, particularly. Le- after the first sort of five or ten minutes when England were kind of camped in their own box a bit, they did manage to get much more aggressive. I mean, everyone everyone will obviously talk about Dyer flattening Sergio Ramos, which was a great moment for, like, English people. Under, <laughs> uh, I mean, there's the whole argument now that that is a bit of a... Uh, Vinnie Jones and McMahon, 88, Roy Keane and Mark Overmars, 2001. Do, do we buy that? Um, I don't know. I think... I mean, there's no getting past the fact that English people like this kind of thing. <laughs> like, it, you know, you can see the, the reaction from the fans, the reaction on social media, from other journalists. I know lots of journalists have written about it this morning, and I don't mean that critically. Um, like, it, pe- people just buy into this kind of stuff. Yeah. They, like, they like seeing a good English player flatten it, flattening the big, nasty Spaniard, rattling the Spaniards. Yeah. And they were rattled. What? The one thing about I did know, I mean, I remember I was at Lansdowne Road in 2001 when Keane did it to Overmars, and that Ireland won 1 0 that day, and that was immediately seen as kind of tone setting. It was immediately talked about afterwards with some of the players mentioning it, and I think Keane himself as well. But in the aftermath, it, it, like among the players, and like, I don't think Southgate was even really touched on it. I think he kind of brushed it aside a bit. And the, 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 like it wasn't, it wasn't much of a discussion. Well, well, Eric Dyer was asked about it in the mix zone afterwards, but those quotes are embargoed until ten thirty <laughs> tonight. So go on independent.co.uk at ten thirty exactly to read Dyer's thoughts on the tackle. Another one it reminded me of uh, was, oh god, I've just forgotten it. Um, what what was the tackle I'm thinking of? Um, it was a cool football. It was. Oh yeah, I remember an Ev- a good friend of mine who supports Everton told me that. Like, one of the best moments... There was once when uh, Manchester United were playing at Goodison in about 2006-07, and Phil Neville flattened Ronaldo, and this kind of turned the game and their season around, and they went on to have this amazing season or this really good run. And genuinely, all the Everton fans said it it dated from Phil Neville tackling Ronaldo because that kind of got Goodison Park up, and then they went on to win the game, and they won the next few... And I was wondering whether the same might be true of the dire tackle. Yeah. Like this is this is the kind of hinge moment mm. for the England national team. 
and maybe for English history, maybe <laughs> after years and years of decline, everything getting worse as a country and as a football team, we this was the turning point, and yeah. the, from now it's, we're going to be heading into the sunlit uplands off the back of that dire tackle. And in 20 years' time, people will say, well, you know, the, 20, the 2010s are pretty shit in the UK, but the 2020s are amazing. <laughs> and, it all, it, and it all started on the 14th of October 2018 yeah. in Seville. The appropriate sound of uh, horse hooves going by as we talked about uh, industrial tackles. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I suppose it did... I, 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 the one thing about it as well, it maybe just changes the psychological momentum of games. I mean, I... One thing that is difficult to escape was that Spain were, which is quite bizarre actually with Spain. Um, the first 10 minutes they were excellent. Then there was a turn, they conceded the goal. But then they were appalling. Now, I, although I do think actually that they were frightened of what England would do to them in the break. I think one of the crew, and Luis Enrique maybe went into this a little bit in his, in his own post-match press conference. But they did then adjust to what England were doing and began to regain control. But I mean, that's maybe more important than anything. That The fact that no matter how Spain were playing, no matter how slack or complacent they were, all the rest of it, that in England for about 20 minutes of that game had one of the best sides in the world properly rattled and properly kind of, you know, tentative about everything they were doing. Yeah, and that's why for me it stands out beyond the um, anything we saw at the World I mean, I, I know some people have said, oh, well, the, the World Cup is more important. Of course the World yeah. Cup is more important. Yeah. Everyone knows that. But in terms of performance level, it's incomparable to anything yeah. for the World Cup, really. Um, and you would have to go back. You, I think you would have to go back, all, certainly all the way to the Sven era. There's been nothing in the, the po- nothing in the post Sven era. Mm. So that's under what McLaren, Capello, Hodgson, or Big Sam uh, would come close to that. Um, and even the Sven area kind of died a death. I mean, I remember, especially the 2006 World Cup was so drab. Yeah. Um, Maybe the most stirring England game since England-Portugal. As you know, they went out, but oh, the, the level of performance was at least, you know... Yeah, I was thinking, well, England, England played really well against France for yeah. almost all of that group game in 2004. Yeah. They were brilliant for 85 minutes. Uh, and obviously that was a really good France a really good France team with lots of great players. Mm. So I'd say that's probably the closest thing I, I could compare it to. And England lost that game. Yeah. And I nearly yeah, cried afterwards. <laughs> uh, uh, Not me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so, uh, so, but yeah, I mean, certainly ranking wise, it's, it's very high. I mean, even the, even the Germany two thousand one game. I mean, I, we've all seen that plenty of times now. But that that was really seen as a nadir for that Germany side. And I know Spain yeah. are just coming off the back of uh, a nadir for them at the twenty six sorry at the World Cup this year after a really bad World Cup in twenty fourteen as well and a really bad Euros in twenty sixteen. So maybe maybe. You, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this more after the break, but maybe you can compare this Spain team to Germany 2001. Uh, in a different way, I mean, this is one of the frustrating things about uh, raising aspects of our job. Selkic goes into this specific matter in his, uh, in his own embargo quotes, but I think this... Uh, this don't, pu- break the <laughs> don't break the embargo. Don't break the embargo. More on this after the break. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Was, as well as a vindication for Southgate, Miguel, was last night a vindication for the UEFA Nations League? Uh, yes, I think it was. I mean... Basically, had that been a friendly, first of all, it wouldn't have gone the way it did and it wouldn't have meant as much. But also, the, the, the entire match would have been diluted by subs. I don't think, like, had it been a friendly, I don't think we'd have seen that, the way Spain went at it in the last 20 minutes. So, I mean, there's been a lot of, actually, just to go back to kind of what I meant for England, I've actually seen a bit of a sniping, oh, it's just a glorified friendly, but Spain don't see it like that. Spain really want to win this competition. They really want to get the automatic, automatic route. So, for a start, that's what England were up against. But also, okay, there was a few drab games at the weekends. Uh, there was Scotland's game. There was England Croatia, which also wasn't great. And all, and this happened in the World Cup as well. Then there's suddenly this rush. Well, this is rubbish. You know, this is boring. And then, like, you know, look in the last two nights, we've had Germany getting trounced by Holland in what feels like a properly important match. And then this, which is one of the best international games I've seen outside a tournament for uh, for some time. So yeah, I think I think it is working overall. It's if you look at it right up and down, you've got this at the top. You've got properly historic fixtures like Germany Netherlands. Then you've got what it means to all these small sizes, uh, smaller, sorry, not just say small, smaller, smaller countries like Moldova, Armenia, you know. Um, Republic of Ireland. The Republic of Ireland. Well, <laughs> there's, not, there's not much meaning in it there, not anything in Africa at the moment. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, anyone calling that a glorified friendly is just talking bollocks. That wasn't a friendly. Like, uh, we, we've all been to enough England friendlies. You know what they're like. Like, it's olaying. You know, the, any, the only action will come in the first sort of 60 minutes. By the end, it's just sub after sub after sub. England, England finishing with, like, David Nugent and Jermaine Beckford <laughs> up front. Uh, this wasn't that at all. This is completely different. And even, even the Croatia game, like, I hammered the Croatia game in the piece that I wrote because there weren't any fans, which meant that it wasn't really football. Mm. But the, the, like, the football itself, it did improve as it went on, certainly in the second half. The fact is England only made one change to put on Sancho, which is you know, a, an attacking change to win the game. They didn't, that didn't feel like a friendly either. Mm. And actually, you, know, you could tell that England, England were keeping going to try and get that winner right until the end. And actually, if, I'm now starting to think, that if, England had, if England had taken one of those chances in, in the Rijeka game... Or if Danny Welbeck's equaliser against Spain at Wembley had been had been allowed, as it maybe it could have been, then England would now be in a much better position in the group. Whereas, because those England couldn't get over the line in in either of those two circumstances, their their position now in uh, League A Group Four is still not completely secure. Like England can still England can still fail to qualify yeah. if they uh, if they're beaten by Croatia at home and Croatia gets something from Spain. Uh, which would be a disaster because it means we'd be relegated into League B for the next iteration of the Nations League. But I do think England have got a ch- England have got a chance of going of winning the group. But for that, th- like the crunch game really is Croatia against Spain in Zagreb, yeah. which is I think it, it's like the fifteenth of November, which I think is around when England are hosting the USA. If Croatia, dr- if that's a draw or Croatia gets something then England will just need to beat Croatia at Wembley a few days later to, to go through. And that means that we'll all be in Portugal in June yeah. for the Nations League. That'd be lovely, lovely. Lisbon, yeah. Although also if Spain beat Croatia, then it's, it's all over. Yeah, if Spain beat Croatia, then they'll be on nine points. Yeah. And the highest thing we can get is seven. 
Yeah. I, I mean, Spain. I mean, let's get into Spain now because Spain will have to play a lot better than that, won't yeah. they, to win in Croatia? Yeah, in saying that, they were atrocious for thirty-five minutes of the first half. I thought they were really good in spells of the second, though. Um, and I was, just, I was talking to a few kind of Spanish journalists afterwards. Kind of, they felt they're not too concerned about the performance just because ultimately they think the fundamentals of the team are right and it was a, it was maybe a little bit of a wake-up call maybe this is something a bit of a danger with Spain because I think we, we even though there are obviously many more problems at the World Cup we did see it seep into the into the it's almost like the superiority of the 2008-2012 period still permeates through this team in the sense that as soon as they get any sort of um, get to any sort of high level they just start thinking as if well our, our, just, our passing alone will be enough without actually stepping it up in the way that really makes them. Because that came across in the, in the first half. Yeah, they were so defensively lazy. Like, the way that they... The way they allowed England to get in behind, the way that they allowed... Like, just things like winning second balls, it was well, really they, they, easy... They, they, they stopped pressing. They only, and one of, the, one of the biggest differences with uh, Luis Enrique's game so far has actually been the return of the Spanish 2010 pressing, whereas we, did, we didn't see that in the first half here. Yeah, they were kind of all over the place. It shouldn't have been that easy for England to, to, to cut through them. Um... And it, yeah, I mean, I want. It looked to me more like a mental failing than like a technical failing. Yeah. Like it's not like they're not good enough. It's the for whatever re, for whatever reason the players were not on it. They were caught off guard, and then they kept making the same mistakes. Yeah, yeah, completely. And it was also another classic case as well of um, England found that that one pro. Although I think there was much more to it than this. But they found that, not, not like the Croatia game I mentioned earlier, but England found that Spain were particularly susceptible to one area and they kept kind of getting in behind. And there was a period in, in the first half where like, it looked like England would score by every attack because every single ball in behind was causing Spain real trouble with that augmented by, you know, <laughs> Marcus Alonso's response being to put up his hand for two of the goals, just standing there. Like, I think the, the, the third goal, as brilliant as it was from England, was particularly odd from Spain's perspective. Just <laughs> players watching Barkley, Kane and, and Sterling just play through. Yeah, I think Spain also looked like they weren't really familiar with being pressed like whether yeah. it's the dire tackle on Ramos or there's another one where like De Gea hit and this is kind of towards the end of the first half uh, De Gea hit like a weak kick out and I think it went to uh, maybe Thiago or Saul and Winks just charged forward yeah. nicked the ball from him and then England had a kind of three on three and it didn't I mean it didn't quite work out they lost the ball somehow or the, the attack broke down but you could tell that Spain's reaction was like oh shit like what's happening here yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they just looked really they looked really unprepared for the, for the kind of for the power and the intensity of England yeah what's the, what's the Spanish reaction been? Uh, that, that's pretty much it a, wa- a wake up call more than anything also I saw a few of the front pages today they're making an awful lot of um the Jordan Pickford penalty call, uh, and I suppose yeah, and Luis Enrique actually said this himself. He 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 said, um, had they got well, first of all, had they got the, had they made it three two earlier in the game, he thinks they definitely would have come back, and I, and I think that was the flow of the game. And I suppose you could bring it down to that Pickford incident. I thought it was a penalty. I have to say, I mean, there's there's the photo of Pickford with his hand around, uh, and Spain did. They hit the bar after that. I think it was um, was it who was it was it Alcacer then had. Him, Missed another chance three yards out after after uh, Pickford parried. But um, well, actually, Pickford's an interesting one because in some ways this is one of his best games for England, but also one of his worst. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I guess with this kind of player, it's like, do you take like Allison at Liverpool or yeah. old Celtic at Edison? Do you take the risk? And I think good good team like City and Liverpool take the risk. Like yeah, it's yeah. worth having. If Pick, Pickford set up two goals by hitting like. Well, one kind of 50-yard pass to mm. Kane 
and one kind of 80 yard pass to Kane like yeah. that is worth the that and also like the ability to build up from the from the back with kind of short passing yeah. that is worth the potential downside of screwing up one one yeah. Cruyff turn like you can't like you can't separate the two yeah. but you'd rather have both of them than neither but the, the one thing I always get more so even with uh, I saw I mean previously I told Pickford I thought, I thought he was almost immune to kind of stupid errors whereas um this game actually, because he, he fumbled badly for the, the corner for uh, Spain's opening goal. And then there was a parry that maybe should have saw Spain make it 3-2 very quickly afterwards. So he had a few ropier moments that I've come to expect from him with England. He did make one brilliant long-range save as well. Yeah, and, and he made that good save going down to his right like after only about five minutes. Yeah. So it looked like England were really on the ropes. Although one thing that people say about Pickford who know him is that he's... He's um, he's not someone who puts too much thought into what he does, and that means that when if something does go wrong, he I mean it's not exactly going to be weighing on his mind. Yeah. Unlike Joe Hart, really, because Joe Hart is, is well from what people at Nome say, basically he really dwells on that things like that, which a lot of goalkeepers do, which is why they go on these kind of bad runs. Then yeah, England have had a lot of like introspective goalkeepers like Hart, mm. Rob Green, obviously yeah. suffered a lot after that the mistake against the USA. Uh, Scott Carson was never the same against the mistake after the mistake against Croatia at Wembley. Um, ben Foster is someone who's spoken about his kind of struggles with yeah. the mental side of the big of the biggest games. Uh, David James obviously had well publicised yeah. problems in the nineties and two thousands, so it is like a long running issue in in English goalkeeping. That's why maybe someone like Pickford is he's got that kind of like brashness that we need in there yeah. another thing I want to talk about is the atmosphere last night I mean I'd, I'd never been to the stadium before I loved it and I thought the enthusiasm of the fans not just today sorry not, not just for the game but for the Spain's open training two yeah. days ago where there were I know it felt like about 10,000 school children yeah. there to go and see it screaming when the bus came in uh, that felt to me like a real vindication of Spain's policy of taking the team all the way around the country yeah, completely. I mean, it really—it felt like such a, just a, a family-friendly occasion that way. And you really—I mean, for all the talk of what the, the Nations League mean and you know the life in international football, it was very much alive in Seville this weekend. Um, then, of course, you had the uh, that family-family atmosphere in contrast to uh, some of what was going on around Seville uh, around the game. Yeah, I thought this had been another shameful weekend for England fans. I don't know how much play it's going to get at home because there was nothing. Nothing big happened, but um, certainly, like, being... I mean, I remember this is well-publicised, recent England games in Amsterdam and Dortmund. When you're in the city, you're obviously much more aware of just, like, the kind of, like, low-level unpleasantness of England yeah. fans. It's not like pitch battles. It's not like France 98 or Euro 2000. It's just lots of England fans who come over here and just, um, and just behaving really badly. Mm. You know, littering swearing offences littering swearing vandalism low level violence like just the the rudeness of t- being a guest in a foreign city and taking it over as if it's your own uh, and, and then it becomes almost a little bit of a a political act in that way and in terms of, they basically they occupy a space and then you can just sense the aggression if anyone wants to kind of infringe that space or ask for a back I remember a similar incident head of England Wales Euro 2016 when I was working for uh, ESPN and I was beside um, Chris, Chris Jones the writer there and we were, we were all far to the left so right beside the fans I remember the, these two these two middle aged England fans they put up a flag um, 
which basically covered the view of about a third of the pitch for journalists. And obviously one journalist went up and complained, so, uh, an international journalist. And immediately then it just became like, they had no concept of the fact that this, this what they were doing might inconvenience someone. It was suddenly, it, it was again a political act and that their, you know, space they'd occupied was being, someone wanted to kind of wanted it back or wanted it for the better good. And they just couldn't see around us. And I, and I remember we thinking of the game, it's something Chris Rushy talking. Had England not come, basically won that game with a late goal to make everyone forget about that sort of thing, we might have been a bit here because they kept looking over then towards the game with the journalists who complained. And, and then that, I mean, I, that's a, such a specific incident, but I think it actually you reflect you see that that sort of thing so so much when you're kind of in the general vicinity of, of the kind of this this travelling band of England fans or, or, or a certain, sorry a certain strand but I think it's quite a sizable minority of England fans yeah it's, it's very easy to say that oh it's only a tiny minority and the rest of England fans are well behaved like it's visibly it's I mean put it like this I imagine it's in the fans who have, who come here with this attitude is definitely in like double figures of percentage of yeah. the England fans it's not it's not like two or three bad apples spoiling it for everyone else at all. It's bollocks if anybody says that it is. Um, but yeah, I think Miguel's absolutely right about that attitude. The attitude is basically like, I'm going to come over here and I'm going to make make this my own. I'm going to make your space my own and treat it as if I is my kind of conquered territory. Yeah. And I'm going to put up my flags and sing our songs and have ten pints. And if anybody anybody looks at me funny or suggests that I shouldn't do this or suggests that this is not the right way to behave in a foreign city, then I will treat that as the most grotesque provocation. (laughs) And I will use that as an excuse to kind of raise the stakes, whether that's throwing stuff or just offering people out for a fight or bad language or whatever. And it's... It's like they want they want to be challenged. They want to be yeah. caught up on it because that gives them the excuse to react. And it's such a kind of English mentality. Like it's funny. This is an issue where I used to. I do think that football fans in England get a hard time for all sorts of reasons, but there is a separate problem, which is the behaviour of fans of the England football team yeah, abroad. Yeah. And I I used to think I used to think this was like something that like the sort of snobs would look down their noses yeah. at England fans and and it was unf- it was bullshit to compare it to rugby fans or whatever and I don't think that at all I think that there, this is such a serious problem that it has to be I mean I, I don't even know if we can fix it but if yeah. we can't fix it we have to describe it I remember like there was um, a bit of discussion about this within the FA about 18 months ago and one of the concerns was basically you have thousands of basically kind of mid-twenties early to mid-twenties fans and a lot of them are even, from, from, from what I've seen from police reports when people have been arrested, they've been respectable jobs. But the, but the word was that when they go away with England, they basically use it as kind of you know, these extreme stag parties. And there's not, you can't really stop that. Yeah, you're right. Like, the, the FA is completely powerless. Like, how are you going to... Because you can't... You can stop people from getting tickets, mm. but lots of people will travel, you know, will travel, get tickets from a mate, even not buy tickets, yeah. buy tickets on the home end. The point is not getting the tickets it, it's flying here on EasyJet for 100 quid and yeah. then just drinking a lot and the FA is completely powerless to, to like stop the travel plans yeah. of young men and the young men from England and there's a, there's a dynamic here as well in the sense that I mean we go away all the time with kind of the, the English clubs in Europe and I mean obviously so much of what's happening now is being put in the wider context of what happened 30 years ago with English, English teams and clubs but 
the big okay. No, no one's naive enough to say there's never any incidents, but you don't you don't see what you do with England with the big six clubs and they go to Europe, and it does feel as if they they now see themselves as kind of beyond that sort of thing, this this sort of nonsense. They and they know how to generally behave better when abroad and I mean this maybe ties into something we were discussing before the game most of the flags you see we, 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 went, we went by one bar yesterday where we saw the, uh, the football lads alliance flag which you know we all know the kind of the political under, undercurrents there what, what, what exactly they are uh, and around the football lads alliance flag the uh, the flags of what, what some, some of the clubs uh, Hereford uh, Heref- Kettering Hereford Kettering Whitby, Tamworth, Leicester, Derby, Coventry, Blackpool. The only the only good team that you see is Chelsea. The only, the only big clubbers. <laughs> yeah, and Leicester, I guess. Um, but generally speaking, it's very much flags from outside the Premier League, outside London, Manchester, and Liverpool, uh, particularly in, in the Midlands. And you know, it, it's it's not unfair to associate that support base with a kind with a more kind of right wing Brexit well, well, I think uh, I, I sent some of the flags to uh, uh, the names of the clubs to a friend and he actually he went looking through the uh, the, re- the referendum results from those areas and a lot of them were quite heavily leave yeah completely and also I mean this is another po- point that I made on Twitter which I'm going to put in a piece later on like there is a I think a growing or may- maybe I, I don't know whether it's, yeah I think it is growing a growing like right-wing nationalistic element to England. Like, it doesn't look like, uh, you know, like Golden Dawn or National Front or anything like that, but or, um, uh, like, Charlottesville. But, like, Football Lads Alliance is anti-Muslim. Singing Fuck the Pope is, like, anti-Irish and anti-Catholic in a really insane way for people. Like, we we saw lots of people singing Fuck the Pope. Um... And on the way to the game yesterday, and these are like these aren't even guys who were kind of were around in the eighties and nineties, and when like the troubles were like a live issue in Eng- in British national life. Not that it would be okay if they were, but at least you would understand the context. Whereas here, these were lads singing it who would have been born after the Good Friday Agreement. Yeah, yeah. Like, why why on earth would they think? Why on why on earth would they choose to define their support of the English national team? around saying, oh, well, we really hate the Irish. But there was that lad, we, we walked to the game because, I mean, it was bad weather and it was so difficult to get taxis around like that. But we ended up walking behind a group of lads and one of them, who was at the forefront of singing Fuck the Pope and also shouting things like, uh, hey, taxio, um, he, he must have been about 18. Yeah, it's, it's so, dis- like, as someone, as someone who's, like, an English football fan and a fan of the England team and a supporter of English football fans as a group of people... It's just, it's so dispiriting to yeah. see how awfully they behave and how how little progress has been yeah. made on in an area where we tell ourselves that we're better than the rest of Europe, yeah. but we're not. And, and there's a wider tapestry as well, because even when you mentioned, made the point there about the fan, a certain strand of the fans seeing as any sort of response to what they're doing as the most grotesque provocation it basically reminded me you know a, a lot of the approach of the, of the right to the brexit negotiations in which if, if you if europe has any response back and well you know look at them demanding their way we have to put a stop to this now yeah and that's why it's it's such nonsense when people say oh then you can't call them fans they're not fans they don't represent us of course they do they're as english as anyone yeah. like who like you in their insular arrogant territorial 
Uh, they don't see things, they're like complete, complete lack of empathy, like obsessed with themselves and this kind of English mythos. Like they are so obviously English. We can't, any, anyone who says that they're not fans, they don't represent us, is ignoring, is ignoring the problem out of laziness. Uh, and I mean, they are more English than anyone, yeah. uh, which is why it's going to be so difficult to solve because yeah. they come from somewhere deep within inside us. At one point as well, to finish up on a maybe uh, <laughs> slightly humorous element to it, but two of the most heavily populated pubs that uh, with English fans, where they were singing stuff about the Scotland national team. Although one, one of the better chants during the last game last night was to Spain, uh, "Are you Scotland in the skies?" There were more unsavoury chants about some Scottish players, highlighting the in- absurdity of a lot of this. Thanks very much for listening. Next time, we'll give you a podcast recorded in our studio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.